it's like part Rocky Horror Picture Show, part uh, every musical number you've ever seen ever. There's so many numbers and scenes where it's just like more is more. I don't even know that that is a solid business model to begin with. Like, I don't even know that a club like that would work. The pageantry of it all. It's a mess. It's such a mess. And I love it. Same. Hello and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast, a podcast dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's delighted to welcome your newest muse, Hillary Murphy, to join me in breaking down the magic and mythology of 1980s cult classic musical fantasy, Xanadu. But before we get into the fever dream of it all, I'd like to tell you all about designing woman and dancing queen, Hillary Murphy. Hillary has been an interior designer and owner of her own design firm for 20 years. She transitioned to a business that designs, develops, and manages vacation home short-term rentals. She also helps curate and execute boutique women-led retreats on their property. In addition to her professional prowess, Hillary is a devoted wife and mother, faithful foodie, and lover of all things woo. Welcome to the podcast, Hillary. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Okay, so as a lover of all things woo, <laughs> I suggested we cover Xanadu. Yes. So can you tell me a little bit about your history with this film, if you have one? I do. I mean, I think I saw Xanadu for the first time when I was maybe, I don't know, like nine. Okay. Around that age. And the reason I saw it was because I had seen Grease. Of course. I mean, Olivia Newton-John. Need we say more? Yeah, because Olivia. So I saw, I forget how it happened, but I saw it and I was like, wow, this is like next level Olivia (laughs) Newton-John. It was such a weird, campy, cheesy, like disco ball. It was just a crazy, cool, weird, wow movie. And so at that time when you were young and you saw it, did it strike you as sort of wacky? I just remember being kind of dazzled by it, you know, (laughs) like, and I think too, right. It was like Olivia Newton-John and like, just when you, when you see her, she's just, I love costumes and I mean, and roller skating. Oh, I know. So we're like kids of the eighties. So like roller skating was a real big deal. And so all of that together, just, I don't know. It was just something about it. Oh, yeah. And paired with the music, mm. that fantasy, hyper color, mm-hmm. disco of it all was just really. I remember the first time I saw it, I was sort of like, I don't know if I like it, but I can't look away. <sighs> but I love the music and I certainly love her. So it yes. was really like, I didn't really know how to feel about this movie. And upon the rewatch, I found myself multiple times like, what the fuck am I watching? And then (laughs) I'd be like, I could not love this more, but it's all okay because somehow all together in this big jumbled mess, there's some magic in it. 
Exactly. I mean, it's a mixed bag for sure. Like we can't be like, this is a perfect film. And I, I don't know why it did not win an Oscar. Like it's not that movie, right? It's just not. It's just not. And it's a beloved cult classic. And uh-huh. you can see why, like it's can't be fun. I, I think if you're going into it and you're looking for it to be like, you know, a movie of substance that's really going to like teach you something, like, you're going to be disappointed. That's not what they're there to do. No. They're there to entertain. Yeah. It's escapism. It's fantasy. It's magic. It's magic. It was released on August 8th, 1980. Now the budget was $20 million. And I was thinking to myself, that's a lot of money for 1980. I'm such a dork. I went to like an inflation calculator online. I'm like, how much is $20 million in today's <laughs> money? And it's like over $66 million. So wow. this was a lot of money. This was a big budget film and it only made 23 million. Oops. <laughs> so it didn't do so hot. And at <laughs> least at the time, like now it's found its place in pop culture history. You know, it's one of those things you either love this film or you don't love this film. But for the people who do, I mean, it's amassed a huge following. But at the time it didn't do so well. And it was directed by Robert Greenwald, who has actually directed a lot of documentaries in addition to that 1984 movie with Farrah Fawcett called The Burning Bed. Ooh. Do you remember that movie? I totally remember that movie. So the film was produced by Lawrence Gordon, who has produced some like really big blockbuster films, Predator, Die Hard, Field of Dreams, Boogie Nights, and like a whole bunch of other huh. things. I so didn't know that. He's a skilled producer. He yeah. saw something in Xanadu. I don't know. So, <laughs> but initially this film was actually supposed to be like a low budge roller disco. Mm-hmm. But then as bigger stars started signing on to do it, the studio was like, oh, well, this could be huge. Well, they have Gene Kelly, right? They had Gene Kelly. I mean, come on, Gene Kelly. I'm so excited to talk about him. Me too. So in terms of the theme for this film, the plot actually resembles 1947's Down to Earth, in which Rita Hayworth played the role of Terpsichore. That's actually the role of Kira. I didn't know that it was a remake or it was based. I didn't know know that. Yeah, yeah. It's similar in themes. So once the movie was wrapped and filmed and it was time to do promotion, Universal Pictures actually canceled all the press screenings of the film. And so the theory is that the studio, like upon the final edit, was sort of like, we don't really want the press to see this ahead of time. What is it that we have here? But I don't know. I mean, like I said, it didn't do so well in the box office, but the soundtrack killed it. Well, you know, that soundtrack is awesome. It's amazing. I actually had the vinyl (laughs) and I remember just listening to Magic on repeat. That is my favorite because it's the best song on the whole album. It is. For me, it's magic. And then suddenly, and you know, there's a lot of electric light orchestra on this. Not Mm -hmm. a huge ELO fan, but I like the romantic numbers. (laughs) Let's get into the plot of this, this hot mess. It's a weird plot. (laughs) Musical disaster. I'm, I'm here for it. So we open on Sonny Malone. He's an artist in LA and he's working in his studio 
And Sonny is played by Michael Beck, who's best known for this film called The Warriors. But according to Entertainment Weekly, Olivia Newton-John had suggested another actor for the role. Oh. She suggested a then-unknown Mel Gibson. Wow. Huh. I mean, maybe. I could kind of see Mel Gibson, maybe a young Mel Gibson. I could see it. Okay, so artist Sonny, he is so frustrated by his sketches. He doesn't have a lot of inspiration. He tears up one of his sketches and he tosses the pieces out the window. And, you know, Hillary, what the hell? It's just littering. Don't get me started on that because it's a real pet peeve of mine. So It is for me, too. Like, there's nothing I hate more. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just so rude and wrong. And it's like, you live near the beach. We have enough trash in our ocean. <laughs> so anyway, the wind takes the pieces of his torn up sketch through the magic of very obvious, very obvious animation. You know how the paper becomes oh. like, <laughs> it's so cheesy. And, and like the special effects in this movie are like so bad that they're good. They're amazing. So the papers are like floating through the air and then they hit a mural painted on a wall of the nine sisters. And it's these nine women, very diverse, by the way. I was like gold star Xanadu. The sisters were diverse. I was happy to see it. And so were the dancers at like that ending number two, like orientation, color, like for that time, to be a major motion picture was actually pretty forward thinking. Yes. So one by one, each sister begins to come alive and dance. And they're like outlined in neon, yeah. right? <laughs> so bad, but I love it. I don't know why. And this is when ELO's I'm Alive plays. So in the most literal sense, this is when we see Olivia Newton-John come alive and She's wearing, like, they're all wearing these, like, you know, flowy dresses, but she is wearing in her hair, Hillary, those barrettes that have the streaming ribbons. The ribbons. Oh, my God. Those Did you ribbons. not love those? So much. Those were everything. Or how about the ones where it was, like, a braid? Yes. And then the dangle. And then, like, the hair would be like this and, like, kind of over- It was fabulous. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. It was like some serious high style. I loved it. (laughs) I think we should take a pause here. And I think we should talk about Olivia Newton-John. She was born in the UK. She moved to Australia when she was six. I thought she was Australian. Same. But she has won four Grammys, has had five number one hits in the US, and has sold an estimated 100 million records worldwide. Wow. I didn't know that. I mean, she's fabulous. And of course, like we said, she's Sandy in Greece. So yeah, I mean, we all <laughs> wanted to be her. I mean, how could you not, you how know, could you not, I know. And for like a musical theater geek like me, right. These are all the movies that they're just my jam. You know, we touched on this a few times in the podcast. There is nothing better than a musical. Oh, I actually grew up watching a lot of old musicals. That's how I know Gene Kelly so well. Right. My mom and my grandma introduced me to old musicals. My grandma in particular was obsessed. I've seen so many old musicals over and over and over again, just because that's what my grandma liked to do. And she wanted to introduce me to it. So I'm grateful that she did, you know? Absolutely. And that's a piece of your grandmother that you always get to have with you. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I love it. My husband is is a renowned hater of musicals and costumes and all things fun. Yes. So he's just like, when we watch a musical or when I was really into Glee back in the day, he'd be yeah. like, I don't understand what's happening. Like people don't just break out into song. I'm like, I know, but they really should. My husband's exactly the same way. We went to a Broadway show once. Okay. He fell asleep. No. In the show, in the no. show. And I looked over and he was like, <gasps> and he like, you could tell he kind of, and I was like, how could you fall asleep in the middle of this amazing show? That is the most expensive nap he ever I, took. I, I mean, what? It's just so funny. It's- Whereas you're sitting there and you're energized. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this is when like each of the nine sisters inexplicably, because we don't know what's going on. Actually, I don't know that we ever really do fully understand, but they become some sort of like rainbow colored comet type energy thing. And they shoot up to the heavens. And some interesting trivia though, is early drafts of the script had it that Sonny was actually the artist that painted the mural of the nine sisters. And I feel like that makes a lot more sense. It does make a lot more sense. That he would have like painted it and then they would have been like, oh, now we came alive for our artist. I don't know, but I feel like that would have been a logical through point on the plot. But here we are. Like many <laughs> things in this film, it just You're right. It You're doesn't like, make why? sense. So, okay. <laughs> so this is when Olivia Newton-John, Kira, shoots up to the sky and then she makes a U-turn <laughs> to come back down to earth. To roller skate on a boardwalk. <laughs> because? Just because, period. We touched on roller skating. Oh, I could talk about roller skating all day. I think that we probably should. <laughs> so did you used to roller skate like all the time? Did you go to the roller rink? Did your parents just drop you off? Were you good at it? All of it. I roller skated. I think the way I really got introduced was in the 80s. There was always skate night. Yes. And everyone went to skate night. Everyone was looking forward to it. The guys, the girls, like everyone went and it was just fun. It was just one of those like very social kind of places where your parents knew you were cool. You're inside, you're there, but then you're interacting with each other. You're skating together. There's music and disco balls. And I have so many fond memories of skate night. I do too. And I felt like the roller rink was this place where it was like a kid's version of a nightclub. (laughs) Like, you know, the music was pumping Uh and the lights were low and there was, you know, all the cool lighting. Yeah. They would call the couples out on the rink. Mm -hmm. And then there were obviously in that space, you know, you had your arcade games and your various pizza and soda and all of these things and your friends would go. And it was just this like sort of unsupervised, awesome time as a kid. Absolutely. And then like, there would always be those moments where you're like standing with your girlfriends and, you know, the couple song comes on and it's like, maybe one guy's going to get brave and come ask a girl. That's not his like girlfriend. Hey, do you want to skate? Yeah. Like maybe suddenly comes on by Olivia Newton. John. <laughs> no, but that's part of the social dynamics. And then you'd have the races and 
I just feel like there was so much, it was sort of like a drag race, like of the fifties, like, right. It, there's just something about it that felt really good as a, as a young person who was probably not going to be able to do anything similar to that anywhere else. That's absolutely true. And in fact, I mean, even adults were hardcore into it. I remember my, this is so weird. This is one of the earliest memories I have when my dad turned 30 as a 45 year old woman that blows my mind. Well, we can get into that. I know. (laughs) I know my dad just turned 70. Like I remember when my dad turned 30 and I went with my mom to the mall to go buy him roller skates really? because my dad would go and skate on his lunch break. Wow. So like adults were skating for exercise. It was just such a part of our culture. He turned 30 in 1981. So all that tracks the timing of this, it just really hit on like this cultural touchstone, this roller skating. It was a hot moment in time and it was at its pinnacle here. So, okay, she's skating on the beach. And by now, Sunny is walking on the boardwalk. And Kira comes like barreling down. She skates right into him. And then she kisses him (laughs) before skating away. And he's like, what? I remember when I was a kid even thinking like, that is a bold move to kiss a stranger. So, Hillary, have you ever kissed a stranger? I plead the fifth. Uh, no, just kidding. Yes, of course I have. Hasn't everyone? What? I haven't. Never kissed a stranger. No. All right. Well, what is this rated? This podcast. This is I'm rated explicit. But I'm know. just kidding. No, of course I've kissed a stranger, like a boy I met, you know, at a dance or what, you know, at a roller rink. I don't know if I did at a roller rink. I mean, let's be honest, probably. No, no, I'm I'm just kidding. But I, yeah, yes, I have. (laughs) So we now see Sonny back at work. He had this job where he painted enlarged copies of album covers, like for publicity. And he hated his job. So that's why he quit to try to become a freelancer, but he couldn't make it on his own. So now he's back at the job that he hated. Literally, my only note here is that Michael Beck is a really bad actor. I read that down. He's not the best, let's be honest. No. (laughs) And he also looks a lot like Barry Gibb or Andy Gibb. I kind of thought that's who it was, I think, when I first saw it. I thought, is that the Bee Gees guy? But he, it's the hair maybe and the, I don't know. I don't know, something about him. Mm -hmm. Very Gibb adjacent. Mm -hmm. So Sonny's assigned the task of painting a new album cover for this group called the Nine Sisters. And he's given the album and on the cover, it's a picture of this like dilapidated auditorium with a beautiful Olivia Newton-John on skates standing in front of it. And he's like, oh my God, I know this woman. She kissed me today. I must find her. So he leaves work because, you know, he just got his job back. (laughs) So now he's on the hunt for her back at the beach And this was kind of weird. Did you notice this? Like they want to establish Sonny as this like very eligible bachelor because like everywhere he goes, people want to set him up. Like his coworkers are like, oh, I have someone I want to set you up with at the beach. Someone's like, oh, hey, you want to go out with my daughter? And then that like sexy popcorn vendor woman was like wanting a date, right? I'm like, we get it. Sonny's supposed to be hot. I didn't pick up on that. He's a catch apparently. 
at the beach, he meets this older gentleman playing the clarinet. Oh. And they talk. And suddenly, Sunny spots Kira skating. And he goes after her. <laughs> but like, oh, shit, she's too fast. So he heads over to these, like, two hot women with motorcycles. And he's like, hey, I got to borrow this. And he jumps on one of the motorcycles. He didn't even ask permission, Hillary. He just I mean, jumped on it. It was so rude. I can't even with that. It's not whimsical. It's rude. And further, the women aren't even like, hey, wait a minute. Hey, dude, that's my bike. They're like, oh, yeah, sure. Just make sure to bring it back in person. Oh, right. Adding to the. Yeah. So they want him too. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> what I love the most about this scene, though, was like all the fashion on the beach. Oh, yes. There were so many tube tops. Oh. The hair, the pastels, and the colors. Yes, the knee-high socks. Knee-high socks? Knee-high. Ah, with, like, short shorts. Yes, with the little tiny dolphin shorts. <laughs> and the visors, like those green visors. Oh, man. How was it time? I know. Okay, so Sunny's on this motorcycle, right? And he's looking for Kira. And she's like, oh, I'm so whimsical. I'm enjoying this cat and mouse game. Like she's kind of like hiding from him. And then she reappears and she's like, she waves to him and he's so distracted. He drives that borrowed motorcycle off the pier and into the water. They never show him going back to those girls being like, Hey, I drove your motorcycle into the ocean at the time. Like I never thought about that, but as an adult, I'm like, what is wrong with him? What if she didn't have insurance? Like, yeah, like the practicals. Now, did he give her his car? Did, did he go back and apologize? <laughs> I think we're establishing that Sunny cannot be trusted. He's a bit of a man child, let's be honest. Yes. Sunny's coming out of the water. He's, he's dripping wet. He's defeated. The clarinet man, his name is Danny McGuire. He's like, let's get you a cup of coffee. Now, The clarinet man, we touched on this, is played by legend Gene Kelly. Gene Gene effing Kelly. You guys, if you don't know who he is, I don't even know what to say. You should probably be ashamed of yourself. (laughs) I mean, people say that Fred Astaire was the greatest dancer, but I think Gene Kelly was. You put him above Fred Astaire? I do. Fred Astaire is more kind of silky and like very measured. He's got a certain... Grace, I guess. And I feel like Gene Kelly is a little more athletic and a little more peppy. He's just got a different movement style. He's electric, truly. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, if you don't know who he is, he's an actor, dancer, singer, filmmaker, and choreographer, best known for singing in the rain. He was also in An American in Paris, Brigadoon. Oh, and inherit Brigadoon. the wind. I know freaking Brigadoon. Brigadoon. So good. I love that you've seen all these movies. I mean, I was a total drama nerd too. It's one of those things. If you know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so he actually directed Singing in the Rain. I didn't know that. And he choreographed it. He also directed Barbara Streisand's Hello, Dolly. Mm. And... He was asked to direct The Sound of Music, but he turned it down because he thought it was crap. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he can't win them all, I guess. Even Gene Kelly can't win them all. 
what's a little bit heartbreaking is that this was actually his last film. Yeah. The film didn't do so well, you know? Yeah. And he even said in regard to Xanadu, the concept was marvelous, but it just didn't come off. He had some strong feelings about it. Yeah. It just, it didn't all come together. So Sonny's not giving up on his big hopes of meeting this mystery woman. He ends up spotting that same auditorium on the album cover that he's, you know, supposed to be at work painting right now, but he's not. Yeah. <laughs> and this is when he goes inside the auditorium and we hear Olivia Newton-John's magic. Oh, so good. So good. So this joint is like completely run down. And then he sees her. Oh my God, there she is. And he's like, you. And she's like, me. (laughs) (laughs) And then she keeps like appearing and then like disappearing as if she were magic. He's like, where are you? I can't find you. And this is when she says, we'll see each other again. Bye, Sunny. So she knows his name. And he's like, I don't even know your name. And this is when she reveals her name to be Kira. Sometime later, we see Sonny with his new BFF, Danny. And it's clear that Danny has a lot of money. He lives in like a mansion. (laughs) It's like a straight Versailles mansion. He was like a former big band orchestra leader who is now, is he like a construction tycoon? Is this? I didn't pick up on that part, but I... It seemed like that was like his younger part of his life that he was still really enamored with, you know, the music and the playing of music, but he maybe like made a ton of money doing something else. Yeah. Like he's some sort of mogul, like real estate maybe or something. So Sonny is looking at Danny's old vinyls. He was in like the inner circle of like the big musicians of the, at that time era. Yeah. Yes. And this is when Sonny spots a picture of the singer that Danny was once romantically involved with, and she looks exactly like Kira. So Danny tells Sonny, like once it ended between him and his great love, he lost his passion for music, but he's interested in opening another club like the one he had in the 1940s. And this is when he asks Sonny to help him find a space. So Sonny leaves. And this is when Danny... While listening to, you know, his old albums where his lost love is singing on the album, he says, I remember. We see a flashback memory of him as a young man with his love, who is played by Olivia Newton-John, and they're performing together. And what's kind of fun about this, the man who plays the young Danny is actor Matt Latanzi. And he met Olivia Newton-John on this film and they got married. No. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. That's so cool. They were married for 11 years and had a daughter. This is when Olivia Newton-John appears dressed like a 1940s girl. And in his like mind's eye, she's there. Danny gets up and he joins her in a dance routine and they kiss. And- I wanted to love this number, Hillary. Like it's yeah. a very long song and dance. What were your thoughts? <laughs> I loved watching Gene Kelly dance again. Like I remember when I was watching it and he's older and, you know, he's still in there. He's dancing. Oh yeah. It did kind of fall flat. You know, it just didn't have that thing. Part of me thought the number was way too long. 
And then there was not chemistry between these two people. Yeah. It's a little just strange to your eye to see like an older gentleman dancing with a young woman and there's supposed to be like romance feelings there. Mm -hmm. And then it was sort of like, we were just thrust from this like deeply late seventies, early eighties vibe into this 1940s vibe. And I'm like, I like them both independent of each other. I don't know that there's really like, I don't know. There's a sweet spot in the Venn diagram of these two things where you're like, this makes sense. It was cool to see their dance routine. Gene Kelly choreographed this himself. It looked very much like his style. In 2012, Olivia Newton-John told the Daily Herald, I still can't believe I danced with Gene Kelly. How lucky am I that I've been in these movies where I've danced with two of the greatest dancers of all time with Gene Kelly and John Travolta. Yeah. He said, I would have never thought that because I had two left feet growing up. So I didn't really understand, is Kira the reincarnation of his lost love? Or is it the same girl who's been the muse for both the of muse them? for all these centuries? I mean, it was there. <laughs> it happened. <laughs> I don't really know what else to say about it. I think that's interesting. I wonder how it would have been different if they had given him a muse who was someone else. The fact that she was like sort of the same person. Right. Like I like your idea though, that perhaps she was also his muse. That's kind of my take. But did she not love him enough to stay? I think that was the whole point was that she actually fell in love with Sunny. Right. Like she's been amused for all these artists and performers transcending time and space, but Sunny is the one that she falls for. Right. Yeah. Because there's a point in the movie, I feel like I remember where she said, like, I'm not supposed to fall. I'm not supposed to have these feelings. And so it's something that hasn't happened to her before. I think part of that, that was sort of off for me was that like nowhere in this, did I really see what made Sunny so absolutely desirable? (laughs) Like, why is he the guy that she's willing to give up everything for? I don't see what makes him so special or different. He wasn't my type. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Sonny, you know, finally goes back to his day job and he he's painting and Kira shows up. And this is when they talk about finding a place for Danny's club. And she suggests the auditorium. So this is when they decide to go skating. Like he's going to leave work again. Let's go skating in the studio at work that shows pictures on a giant screen. So they go. They break in, whatever. And this is when Suddenly plays. Oh my gosh, this scene. It's a real skating rink moment. Like the lights Uh come on and do like all the cool light special effects. It's all very romantic. This is the moment where they fall in love. It's sweet. I liked it. I thought so too. And it, and it's so tacky. Like they go through the different sets and like the wind is blowing and there's steam, there's a train coming. And it's like this dream, like fever dream kind of thing. And it's just so cheesy, but you know, I love it. I loved though, when all of a sudden it starts raining and they take the umbrellas and they're skating and they're doing all that. And I'm like, that's a total nod to singing in the rain, which was super cute. And a great song. A great song. They're about to kiss. Oh my God. And Sonny's angry boss comes in and yells at them and they skate away. They go to the auditorium though. And Kira's like, 
Sunny, this is the place. This place could be anything you want it to be. And so Sunny, like, okay, he's considering it. And he suggests this space to Danny. And Danny's not so sure, but Sunny begins to pitch his vision. He sees the auditorium as a place for like rock bands and dancing. And there's like modern pop rock music playing and new wave and all of this. And then Danny sees it as a place of like glamour and elegance and envisions an old bandstand playing standards with like beautifully dressed people. This number of like dueling fantasies, this is set to the song Dancing by the Tubes. Yeah. And this is when like punk and new wave and rock merge with jazz and swing. It's a big number. It is. It's a showstopper number. There's like a cast of thousands. There's so many dancers, but it felt sort of like a kitchen sink musical number. It was like everything, like throw it all in. But I think that's part of the weirdness of this movie that I like is that it was just, there's so many numbers and scenes where it's just like more is more. More is do you know more. what I mean? They were just like more is more, and it's like all the different styles and the colors like all coming together, and like all these like weird, wacky, like doesn't make sense stuffs going on, and you're like, but Hillary, it's like you you're saying more is more, and you loved it, yeah. But you're also a designer, yeah. So like from a designer's point of view, from your <laughs> designer's eye, was this a lot for you? That's a good question. I think so. Yes. But I think that it's an example of fantasy and, and things that are over the top and things that are unexpected and things that are colorful. So I think in a lot of ways, that is kind of how I design, but like a curated version of that. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't look like there was a lot of curation. No curation that went into just, this. It was just like, what else can we add? Like, let's add some laser beams. Let's add some feathers. Like uh, more is more. More is more. Yeah. And I thought like from a business perspective, let's put our business hats on kids. Like they come from very different generations. They have very different visions. They're going to go into business together. Do they see it as a space that's going to be all things to all people and generations? Because I don't even know that that is a solid business model to begin with. Like, I don't even know that a club like that would work. Well, I think if you think about the way that the ending scene is, that's kind of their explanation of that. Which is its own thing. Oh my gosh, we'll get into it. (laughs) I think that there is something to be said just metaphorically a little bit, because the old generation, there's a lot of things they can teach us. Absolutely. Yes. Like there are lessons learned. There are different styles of say music or culture or fashion for sure that we can appreciate. But I think also young people, that is where the creativity and culture comes from. That is where things start. That's where trends start. That's where fashion starts. That's pop culture. To me, sort of their point of like, both of these things can kind of meet. That they're not mutually exclusive. That there yeah. is some sort of overlap here. As messy as it might look sometimes right. to the eye. Our generation can learn something from the previous one, but then they can also see how maybe we're changing and different. And even if they don't understand it, that they can appreciate it too. 
It seems like this film wants to be a celebration of that idea. I think so too. Which I love as an idea in terms of execution. execution. <laughs> so it's a little messy, but like maybe that's okay too. Maybe we like it messy. I do wonder if I had never seen it and I just watched it as an adult, if I would feel the same way about it. And the answer is probably no, but there's plenty of people that saw it when they were adults back in the day that loved it. I don't know. In terms of like the many, many, many musical numbers in this, this one was definitely not my favorite. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it didn't work as well as it could have. I feel like they wanted it to be like a visual spectacular, you know, where you're just like, whoa, I don't know that it was as much woe as it was. What the fuck? I think I like my eras compartmentalized. Right. You don't like the mashup. I don't. Danny's like, he's sold, right? This, this vision is like amazing. He's like, let's do it, kid. I'll give you half the place. You'll be my partner. What are we going to call it? I'm like, slow down, Danny. But this is when Kira suggests that they call it Xanadu. Yes. Now, if you're wondering what Xanadu means, Merriam-Webster defines it as an idyllic, exotic, or luxurious place. And we are going to take a little segue here. Hillary, one of the reasons I asked you to help me cover this film is because one of your beautiful properties available for stay in Joshua Tree, California, is in fact called Xanadu. It is a truly magnificent place. It was even featured by the Wall Street Journal. I will link this in the show notes so you guys can check it out. Can you tell me a little bit about this magical retreat space and how you came to find it and design it and what your vision was in creating this? Absolutely. Yes. So, you know, I've been a designer for a long time, residential design, and I really wanted to get a place in Joshua Tree. My husband and I have been going there since we've been dating, uh, rock climbing, hiking. We love it there. And I thought it would be a great place to create a vacation house and then also make it available to share with other people. Okay. So my whole kind of vision was to make this really magical, vibrant, interesting place that people could go and just be completely immersed in it, right? It's like an oasis. Yeah. And I think going through that process was just really good for me. And it's funny because when I told you that when I rewatched Xanadu, I had this like funny realization that I have actually a lot more in common with that plot line at that point than I thought because my husband and I, we have a partner that we purchased that house with. Okay. And I had never had a partnership in my career. I was always an entrepreneur. Right. And it was a really good experience. It was someone I've, you know, a friend I've known for, you know, since high school. And it was just a really good experience. And I think having a shared vision and a dream is, it's just, it's a cool thing. It's a good fit. It's such a fun process. And the thing that stood out for me the most as a designer was I kind of said to them, I was like, this is my vision. And I think we should call it Xanadu. And they were like, yes, we love it. Oh, so 
there was no like questioning of that. Like, what does that mean? Or they completely trusted your designer's eye for making this a magical space. Yeah. And so that's what exactly what it was. It was them kind of saying, you know what? We trust you. Right. And I was like, okay. And it was funny because even in the beginning, I would say, okay, you know, I'd present, you know, my design to them. <laughs> And they would look at it and they're like, that looks amazing. And I was like, thank you. Let me go through it with you. And I remember Jeanine, who's the wife, you know, the, with the couple, she just stopped me and she said, oh, you don't have to do all of this. She goes, we trust you. Just do it. That's huge. If at that moment I was like, what, <laughs> you know, and she was just like, yeah, we trust you. And we just, you should do what you think is going to be beautiful. And that's really empowering, isn't it? Because when you feel like you have the trust, oh my gosh, then you're like, okay, now I'm free to fly. Like, what else can I do? And that's exactly what happened to me. I was, you know, at the same time I was working for clients and then I was doing this house and this house, it came together so quickly and so effortlessly in ways that I didn't expect. Like cosmically. I think too, because it's a vacation house and it, it's like, I could just have this like kind of crazy vision and I'm like, oh no, that's, you know, we'll play it down a little bit. It's like, no, if I have this thing, I'm just going to trust it and I'm going to do it, even if it seems kind of out there. And that really felt great because that was my instinct, like being able to trust that instinct and to not second think it and all this stuff. It's like, oh no, I can actually just create this thing that's inside me, like inside my head. And that was a huge turning point for me personally, professionally. I just realized that I just wanted to do this. That's amazing. So I stopped taking clients. I finished up my projects and from there on out, it was like, that was what I wanted to do. And this is where Abundance Interiors comes in. Right. So, you know, I still do the design, but it's for our properties, basically. And so we have two new properties in the same area of Joshua Tree that we're working on right now. (gasps) So those will be coming out probably in like November, December. That's exciting. It is exciting. So we're like in construction, under construction and all of that. We have one that's called Adobe Villa, and it's this really amazing Adobe style property. It's on like five acres. It's going to be just really fun. It's like 70s, like Spanish revival, Hacienda artist kind of vibe. And then the other property that we're working on is called the Treehouse. And that one is really cool. It's got this very like mid-century into the seventies kind of sleek vibe. And there's this really amazing Joshua tree that grows out of the deck. So they built the deck around, around the deck. I love that. Yeah. So you're calling it Treehouse. So it's just been really fun to do that. And then I also moved into the space of sharing that space with other people, you know, opening um, abundance retreats. So partnering up with really talented amazing facilitators to create experiences for people at these properties. And all these properties are like 
sleep 15 plus people, right? So it's a great spot for a bunch of friends to get together, your family, and then, you know, like events, like retreats. Right. And so we've started curating and working and partnering with other facilitators who want to do an experience for the people that, you know, they teach and the people that follow them. So I love sharing the, you know, the property with other people. I love sharing Xanadu for people to just be and, and go and escape and like have an experience or to host a retreat and have people come and, and kind of give them that magical experience, you know? I was looking at the Airbnb reviews for Xanadu and they are all so positive. I mean, the pictures are amazing. So if you guys want to check it out on Instagram, it's called Xanadu Retreat. Oh my God, the space is amazing. Hillary has created something truly magnificent. Go check it out. We'll link it in the show notes. It's funny because in circling back to the film, the fact that Danny was so just willing to give Sunny half the business. Like what's Sunny bringing to the table in this partnership? That's my question. Like on a practical level, right? I get it. He's an artist. Like he has an artist's eye, I guess. But I mean, like if you really think about it, what do we know about Sunny so far? He litters. <laughs> he ditches work. He hates authority. He drowned some stranger's motorcycle. He stalked a girl. No, I mean, like, literally, this is what they have shown us. And then here's the other thing. So I'm pretty sure this is right. And you can fact check me on this later. (laughs) He was painting and he was telling her, oh, yeah, this guy wants me to help him find this building. Right. And she's like, what about the building where you and I met? Right. And he's like, oh. And then it's like why don't you call it Xanadu? And he's like, oh, she was the one who came up with both of those things. It wasn't, I don't know if that's because it's like, she's the muse. She's not the muse. She's actually the one with, she's not inspiring the ideas at all. You're so right, Hillary. I mean, if you really look at it, it's like, she was the one who actually curated that whole thing. (gasps) Right? She's responsible for the hot mess we all know and love. It's not him. Sunny has done nothing. I mean, I get the sense that the writer on this movie was probably a man. Oh, I'm I'm sure that's true. (laughs) You know, and I just think it would be interesting to see, like, if this movie was remade, how they might change that dynamic. (sighs) If this movie was remade by a woman, maybe by like a Diablo Cody, Mm -hmm. what might it look like? It would be a very different film. I agree. Yes, it would. Yes. So Kira's there and Danny says to her, like, I think I know you. I'm like, no shit. She's the doppelganger of your lost love or she and or slash same muse. I don't know. Yes. Okay. Did you notice how the transitions between the scenes literally looked like the opening or closing of like aluminum mini blinds? (laughs) <laughs> to see bass music. <laughs> like I said, the effects in this so movie bad. are so unbelievably bad that it it just kind of makes it good in a way. There's just something about it, you know? I, I don't know what happened, but okay. So Sonny quits his day job. Like, what the hell? I don't need a job. I have Xanadu now. That night, Kira and Sonny make a toast to Xanadu and he goes to kiss her and she stops him. 
And he's like, Kira, I don't know anything about you. And she's like super vague on the details. She's like, what? I live with my sisters. We live on the second floor. I'm like, yeah, I'll say second floor. And like, that's super red flaggy too. (laughs) They finally kiss though. And this is when the film takes us on a giant acid trip where these two crazy kids get all sparkly and turn into cartoons. (laughs) Oh man. I mean, this dream fantasy cartoon montage. Wow. Wow. I loved this part when I was a kid. Yeah. As an adult, I did not like this part. And I don't know if I didn't like it because it was animated or I just didn't like ELOs don't walk away. I don't know because I didn't like either of those things. But what were your thoughts on this scene? I mean, I I think it was just kind of what you were talking about before. Like they just threw a lot of things at this movie. Yes. I think it was like, okay, let's appeal to the older audience. Let's appeal to the adult audience. Now let's appeal to children. Right. Just didn't feel probably like it was meant to be in there. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, they're animated people and they're dancing on flowers and then they're fish and then they're birds and, and they're, then they're all mushrooms. Yeah, of course they are. And the person that we have to thank for this scene, his name is Don Bluth. He had just left Disney a few years prior and he's the one who did all of this animation. The animation was good. It was good animation as displaced as it may have been. But Don Bluth went on to produce and direct some of our favorite Gen X animation, including The Secret of Nim. Oh, love that one. Me too. An American Tale. Yep. The Land Before Time. (laughs) All the classics. All Dogs Go to Heaven. Anastasia. Dude, this guy's amazing. I think it's probably difficult because if you are an artist and you do a certain medium and then someone just kind of throws it into their movie that has a lot of stuff going on already, (laughs) it's like, it's hard to judge it, I think in a way. Yeah. I mean, I think he was like, okay, I left Disney. I'm thankful for the gig. Yeah. Let's do it. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Anyway. Okay. So back to reality when they're no longer cartoons, they like get together to have a toast because everything's done with the club. We're all ready. Opening night is tomorrow and Sunny and Kira decide (laughs) that Danny needs some quote unquote glitz for opening night. Yes. Oh, Hillary. Are you ready? I love this this number. I love this number deep in my soul. It's actually my favorite too. I thought you said you were going to hate it. (laughs) It's a mess and I love it. It is a hot disaster of a number. It's a weird thing to explain. It's hard to kind of convey, but there's just something about it, the pageantry of it all and the randomness of it all. And the, I don't know what it is, but it's just wacky and weird. And it's so weird. So they decide, okay, yeah, you need glitz. Let's go shopping. Okay. We get a shopping (laughs) montage. I love a shopping montage. I love a montage, Mm -hmm. but this is a montage like no other. So this is set to ELOs all over the world. Danny's trying on some clothes, Hillary. He's got to figure out what to wear. And each, I'm going to say costume he puts on is more ridiculous than the last, like exponentially, like on the scale of randomness, it just, it's unstoppable. There's, you know, Hawaiian shirts and zoot suits 
that cowboy outfit. Holy shit. It's just one of those things where I think they just wanted to go over the top with it. I mean, they're like, let's go balls to the wall. And they like accomplished their mission, I think. 100%. Like at some point in this store, this clothing store, which is massive, by the way, because there's a pink car in it at one point. Um, the sales associates, can we talk about the sales associates? All the dancers, they are hanging on clothing racks. They are dressed outrageously. Yeah. Crazy makeup. Yeah. Just like over the top. Yes. It's like part Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. Part uh, every musical number you've ever seen ever. Yes. (laughs) It was everything. It was more is more. More is more. But isn't it kind of fun to watch though? Oh, it's amazing to watch. I just think that there's something I, I mean, my memories of watching that, especially as a younger person, just being kind of mesmerized by it. And just, it was just like fun. These beautiful dancers, like, you know, with like sparkly costumes on and like crazy, like fantasy makeup. There was just something about that vibe. Yeah. It was like a real sort of Vegas vibe. Yeah. That makes sense. At one point, Danny is in a life-size pinball machine. <laughs> remember that part. Oh, but you know what part I do remember? What? <laughs> oh my gosh. The, the very opening of that number is like a, this giant woman in like a dancer's like leotard. Yes. And her legs open and he comes out of what looks like her vagina. <gasps> yes. Yes. He comes through her legs. His head is like. It's a creative birth. <laughs> Hillary, if you will, it is the birth uh, <laughs> of Xanadu. Oh my word. And after all of that, Danny emerges looking snazzy in a tux, like a classic tux that he could have got at Men's Warehouse. You know, all the glam ups are not always going to be meet our expectation. This is when Sonny finally tells Kira that he loves her and she says it back. They kiss and she breaks away. Oh. (laughs) And this is when she admits that she's a muse. And she reveals that muses aren't supposed to fall in love. And she is one of the nine muses of Olympus. And she was sent to Earth to inspire Xanadu. But you can't stay, Sunny. I got to go. Now that Xanadu is happening, I'm outie. And like you said, she didn't inspire Xanadu. Xanadu was fully her brainchild, but okay. (laughs) She comets away. She's like gone. Like after all that, she's just gone. And Sunny's like really pissed and he's upset. And she's like, I'll always love you. Don't be mad. It's now the next day. It's the day of the grand opening. And Danny finds Sunny on the beach. She's all like super depressed. And Sunny tells Danny like, there's no Xanadu because there's no Kira. So this is when Danny's like, Sonny, learn from my mistakes. Don't let her go. Anything you have to do, you've got to bring her back. This is one of the big climax moments when ELO's The Fall plays. And we see Sonny in his tiny little red shorts and he's skating on the boardwalk. He's like, how could I find her? And he skates up to that mural of the Nine Sisters. And then he skates away only to turn around and skate full speed directly into the mural. And he like thrusts himself into the realm of the gods. And in this realm, again, it's very neon heavy. We're back to yes, all the so neon. Much yes, neon. So much so neon. So much neon. 
and he sees Kara. And it's like he's stuck in some sort of like force field, like a light force field. Like he tries to go to her, but he can't. And it's like voices, just like voices. There's voices. And she tells him, you know, Sonny, you need to leave. And he's like, I'm not leaving without you. And then we (laughs) hear Zeus's voice saying she's not leaving. And Sonny says, but we love each other. And that's pretty rare. Is it though? Like people fall in love all the time. (laughs) Well, and then the other thing too is like, I mean, they've known each other for, you know, not that long. (laughs) But he knew and she knew. They knew. (laughs) They're star-crossed lovers. Yes. So this was written in the heavens, clearly. And I also kind of think that there's something to be said too about, I mean, I know a lot of this is like obviously based off mythology, Mm -hmm. but like her whole existence is what to just go down and inspire other people. Like she can't have a life. She can't pursue her own passions and her own desires and her own. No, Hillary. No, (laughs) a woman's work is never done. That did not occur to me when I was nine, but it very much occurs to me now. Right. You're like, she is a woman with thoughts and feelings. And she says as much. She's like, you know what, you guys, you know what, mom and dad, Zeus and Nemazine, I've been doing this thing for centuries. I, I inspire all the things. It's, you know, I do it all the time. My work is never done. What about what I want? Nobody ever asks me what I want. And she's right. Mm-hmm. And she asks for one night. One moment back on earth. And her dad, Zeus, he's like, well, okay, you can go be with Sunny for a moment or maybe forever. Oh, yeah. Well, which is it? Because it's like space and time does not exist to them the way it does for Uh, people. Like they're gods, right? So I don't know. Sunny gets zapped back out. And this is when Kira performs that really, really boring song, Suspended in Time. And she's just standing there with like the neon around her and she sings an entire song. And it's really lackluster. And I was like, this is the part in every musical and even the best musicals of all time. They all have that one number. You check out a little bit. This is probably where your husband fell asleep, Hillary. Let's circle back. (laughs) At one moment where you start thinking about like, this will be over at 1030. I'll be home by 1130. If I go to bed by midnight, I have six hours before I have to get up in the morning. Like this is that moment where you start thinking about everything else you have to do. It's not good. Okay. It's now opening night. It's just a hodgepodge of performers. There's juggling people. There's people on tightrope. Yeah. It's like circus meets like theater attendance. And like a rock concert, a roller derby. Yeah. (laughs) Are there guests here or is literally everyone in this Xanadu space a performer? Like if you look in terms of like maximum capacity of this space. Oh my gosh. Like who are they? They're performing for themselves. I think that might be it. (laughs) Suddenly now there's marching and dancing and skates to Xanadu where they're doing like the X's with their arms, like Xanadu. They're like in formation and Gene Kelly's in front and he's like. He's being dazzling and charming as per always. Then like the screen splits, special, special effects. Kira comes out on that lit stage Mm -hmm. in that halter romper. Yes. That is so fabulous. It is. (laughs) It's such a Barbie outfit. Oh, uh, but I mean, Olivia Newton-John can basically pull up anything. 
anything, but that halter is sexy. I swear I would wear that. Well, I wouldn't wear it, but like people should wear that. I feel like when she kind of came out for that number, I remember kind of having that same feeling like in Greece where she was finally able to just try on different things for herself. You know what I mean? Like all those different numbers, right? They're all different styles. It's kind of weird how she does all these different. And again, I think that was Xanadu's attempt at being all things to all people. But yeah, she was like basically trying on different identities. Yes, I can see that. Like, especially when she first came out, now she's not this like goddess all like in this modest dress. She's like sexy and she's flirty and she's singing and and she's like up there. She's just up there on stage and just like actually doing something that sh- that's fun for her, you know, to do. Yes. And this song, Xanadu, the song, it peaked at number eight on the Billboard Hot 100. And what's even more amazing is that it was a massive international hit. It reached number one in like nine countries. It oh, was wow. a really, really big deal. Yeah. And so this was obviously a collaboration between Olivia Newton-John and ELO. So Kira's sisters, all the muses arrive as backup. Now they're suddenly like 1940s performers and they look all cute and they're doing their cute little dance number. But it all takes like a super weird turn when she then is in that tiger print and she's performing that song full country. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh And she's got like the edgy makeup, like she's wearing leather and full country is not a good song. (laughs) It's not great. It's not a good song. No. And then she's a cowgirl in that full cowgirl outfit. She like she's like channeling like Dolly Parton, you know. So much fringe. <laughs> it was crazy. And then the special special effects have that big like X between each musical number. Yes, 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 yes. yes like yes, they like swipe through the screen. X Xanadu. Very dramatic. <laughs> Suddenly, she's left in normal clothes at the end of all this, and she comments away. She's gone. And Sonny is so forlorn. He's like, oh my God, she's gone. And then he sits on a couch and he's like all depressed. And a waitress comes up to him and takes his order. And oh my God, I don't know that it's Kira, but I don't know that it's not Kira. It's Olivia Newton-John. It's sort of ambiguous. They left it up to us, I think, to decide. So what do you decide? Oh, was it Kira? Or was it a reincarnation of the human form of Kira, who is somebody else? Like maybe her name is Mira. Maybe she's like Kira's soul. Oh, ooh, I like it. Like her, her being her soul, but now she's a human. And so she has, she's the same like person, but she's now a human and she can have an opportunity to like have a relationship or do what she wants to do. Right. And now they can actually have a real relationship. So let's talk about how the critics responded to this. (laughs) I'm sure it was a real mixed bag. (laughs) Okay. Well, Esquire simply said, quote, in a word, Xana don't. Oh no. (laughs) Zinger. Zinger. Roger Ebert gave it two stars. He said the movie approaches desperation at times in its attempt to be all things to all audiences. Exactly. He says, not only do we get the 1940 swing era, but contemporary sequences start with disco, goes to hard rock, provides an especially ludicrous country and Western sequence. (laughs) 
It moves on into prefabricated new wave. There are times when Xanadu doesn't even feel like a movie fantasy, but a shopping list of marketable pop images. Hmm. Yes. And that's okay. Yeah. Like I I still enjoyed it. I still enjoyed it too. (laughs) James Berard Nelly of Real Views said, conventional wisdom decrees that Xanadu is a horrible film. In a sense, conventional wisdom may be correct, but it ignores one key ingredient. Viewed in the right frame of mind, this movie can be a lot of fun. That's it. He's right. Sometimes we just need an experience like that where it's so crazy and out there and over the top and just to get out of your own head and your own life for an hour and a half. You said it's escapism. Yeah, it really is. We talked about the soundtrack. It went double platinum in the U.S. It had five top 20 hits. So I don't know if you know this, but we have Xanadu to thank for the creation of the golden raspberries or the Razzies as we call them. Yes. Oh, wow. It was inspired by how terrible it was. (laughs) This is the story. The Razzies were conceived after their creator, John Wilson, who was once a copywriter for an L.A. film festival sponsor. He had to sit through Xanadu and told Time Magazine, I happened to pay 99 cents for a double feature of Can't Stop the Music and Olivia Newton-John in Xanadu and was refused my money back afterwards. At the first Golden Raspberry Ceremony, Xanadu was nominated for Worst Picture, but it lost to Can't Stop the Music, the other movie in the double feature. Michael Beck and Olivia Newton-John were also nominated for Worst Actor and Actress. They were nominated. They did not win, but Robert Greenwald, the director, he did win. He won. Now, in terms of legacy, um, according to Entertainment Weekly, in 2001, a stage parody of the movie titled Xanadu Live ran in LA and the director, her name is Annie Dorson. She said the film was, quote, the queerest movie that's not actually about being gay. Yeah. And in 2002... At Outfest, LA's annual gay and lesbian film festival, they hosted a Xanadu sing-along. Oh, uh, yeah, like Rocky Horror kind of thing, right? Yes. Oh, so fun. I would have loved to go on to that. And the Outfest programmer, Shannon Kelly, said, it's a mess of a movie, but it's our mess. (laughs) I love that. So it, it goes right back to what you said. Maybe it's not great, but maybe in its confusion and messiness there's really some sort of magic in this because the music is really really good yes it is and in 2007 there was a broadway musical xanadu yeah and it was nominated for four tonys it it did pretty well i think right yeah i'll say uh gene kelly sadly passed away in 1996 at the age of 84 our beloved gene kelly yeah Olivia Newton-John is battling stage four breast cancer. This is the third time she's been diagnosed with the disease since 92. Yeah. And what's amazing about her is her attitude about her health journey is really incredible. Like she's using her time and energy to, well, first of all, she established the Olivia Newton-John foundation to help fund the study of plant medicine for cancer. And She has said in regard to cancer, it gave me a purpose and intention and taught me a lot about compassion. It has been a gift. I don't wish it on anyone else, but for me, it's been important in my life. Wow. Yeah. I mean, 
of course, no one wants to go through a terrible scare, a health scare, but it's perspective, I suppose, you know, it's like she did something positive with it. She did. And I read an article on her where she actually has written songs for herself, like in celebration of her healing and her amazing body and how she's strong and healthy. And she sings these songs to herself all the time. Yeah. And and she's all about having a positive attitude and, and mindset. It goes a long way, actually. Yeah. She's incredible. <laughs> she really is. She's a national treasure. God bless Olivia Newton-John. She has so much talent. So any final thoughts on Xanadu? I realized that this film is not for every person, (laughs) but I think it's like a lot of things in life. If you go into it with an open mind and you can kind of let yourself be taken away by the the fantasy and the ridiculousness of some of it, there's something to be said for that. It can just be joy. Even the people who like it, we can also admit that it's a hot mess. Again, but it's our hot mess. So I want to circle back to you, Hillary. We touched on your development of vacation home, short-term rentals, but what has that experience and that transition moving into that career field been like for you? Have you felt that you were guided in some sort of way because you are a lover of woo, you are a spiritual person? Did this feel like some sort of magic on your side while making this career transition? If I really think back to when this idea formed for me, I just wanted to create a place that was really inspiring to me, you know, like a place that was in the desert, which I feel like has a really beautiful energy. It's very peaceful. It's restorative. Would you agree? Absolutely. And being able to be somewhere where it is so quiet, you kind of have to be with your own thoughts a little bit more Mm -hmm. and you're taking naps in hammocks and you're reading under a tree or, you know, there's a a stillness and a quietness and a, a sort of vibe where you can just be right. And then the house part of it, right? Like the part that I do is fun. It's like joyful. It's, it's like taking chances and, and mixing things together that you might not expect. I love that. And I wanted other people to be able to share that space too and have their own experiences um, and make memories there, you know? And that leads us to your larger vision with Abundance Retreats. Yes. You help curate and execute boutique women-led retreats on your property for facilitators that want to offer experiences, share their wisdom without having to be like bogged down by all the nitty gritty details of it all. Right. So really what that was born out of is like, number one, I have this sort of real passion for retreats. I've gone on, you know, quite a few in my life and I've gotten something different out of every single one. And I just think it's a really great time to check in with yourself and Mm -hmm. to be open. I'm an extrovert, you know, that might be harder for some people that are more introverted, but like when you go on a retreat, you do have to arrive really open-minded and you're meeting people that you've never met. And there's a lot of inner work that goes on and you form bonds and you can learn from each other's life experiences. Right. 
And it's just an interesting thing, I think. And so I'm drawn to that work, but I'm not really a facilitator. So the ideas too, like finding and partnering with these amazing gifted women who have so much to share, mm-hmm. especially like in an immersive experience where you're somewhere for like three or four days, right? It's that rise and fall of the day and night in that you're not thinking about work. You're not getting your kids their dinner. You're not, you're out of your space. You're in an, a sort of otherworldly kind of place and you're with all these people and get to kind of have those connections and that experience. So it's like, I just thought that would be an amazing thing to be able to provide those people who have those gifts to share with a place that accommodates larger groups, but then also to take care of logistics, right? Like booking it, the food, the hospitality, the client communication, like all those things that a lot of like empathic people who are facilitators that's a lot to do, right? On the front end. And then it's a lot to do while you're on a retreat. Well, sure. Because if their focus is to provide transformative educational experiences to women, right? To help them along with their journeys, you can't possibly be worried about, you know, is lunch going to be served on time? It's absolutely true. And that work of facilitating other women. I didn't realize um, until I started really doing them and kind of seeing what goes on. It's like they have to kind of get to a, a place where they hold space for everyone else. Oh, sure. They have to have a certain amount of groundedness and time to sort of think about what they're going to talk about mm-hmm. or to think about how they want to convey certain things or to have a certain energy within that session or whatever. And if I'm, you know, if they're worried about lunch, then it's really hard to be in both spaces at once. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a really taxing, taxing work emotionally for the facilitators and just energetically, I think. And so they need time to rest too. Being around that many people and having so much going on, they do need that downtime also for themselves, just like the guests do, you know, time to reflect and rest on all that other stuff should be in the background. Yeah. And you know, at the top of the show, I called you a muse because I really do believe that you are Hillary (laughs) in our friendship and in your professional endeavors, you've never been shy to dream. (laughs) I'm very afraid to dream. It's scary to say those things out loud, but you, you not only say these things out loud, you actually take action with your dreams and it's really amazing to watch. It requires a lot of courage. And my question to you is what has given you that level of bravery, that courage to actually go out and try new things? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm no stranger to cooking up a, an idea and getting really excited about it. I mean, there are practicalities of things too, right? Like I'm, I think I'm a realist. I think I can dream big and I have dreamed big. And I, I hope that in another 10 or 15 years, maybe I'll have a new dream mm-hmm. that'll be like another season of my life. You know, right? I don't know what that looks like. Maybe that's starting a nonprofit. Like that's another big one on my list. Mm-hmm. I want to start a nonprofit, but that's a lot of work. <laughs> sure. So I'm a realist, you know? Right. 
I'm not exactly sure how to answer it only in that I just have started to trust myself. That's huge. That is, it's probably the most important step. Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. Yep. Like believing in myself, trusting myself has taken me these places. And of course you have to then follow it up with really hard work. It's hard work. It's a lot of time. Oh yeah, it is. You pour out a lot of your self into these spaces and these projects and they're, they can be very grueling and it's not like on TV, like it takes a lot on the back end to create these places and to, to renovate them and furnish them and, and then go set it up, you know, so that people will be super comfortable and like thinking about those details. It takes a lot. It does. I think it's maybe why I was drawn to interior design as a career initially was because when you design, it is sort of like a dream. It is. It's like a dream of a thing in your mind that you see, and then you create it. And then you actually get to see it in person the way that you saw it in in your mind. And there was always something I think about that for me that was so satisfying. Oh, sure. But now like I get to not only do that, but I also get to create those spaces for myself to enjoy, for other people to enjoy. It's amazing just knowing that if you put in the work and you keep the faith of the dream, it'll, it'll happen, you know, it'll work out. Not magically in that sense, right? Not that kind of magic. Not Xanadu magic. It's not like snap your fingers magic. It's like the magic is in us. Hillary, the magic is in us. I love that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But that's really the truth of it. Oh, Hillary, thank you so much for joining me to talk about Xanadu. You are so magical. I am so thankful for you taking the time to be here. And you guys get to know and love Hillary Murphy. You can find her everywhere. We will link to all of her stuff in the show notes. Check her out. She's on Instagram at Abundance Interiors, at Abundance underscore Retreats, at Xanadu Retreat. And you guys also, I will put the link to her amazing Xanadu private acre for rent in the beautiful and mystical Joshua Tree, California. It is perfect for a getaway, for a retreat. It's an inspiring space to reconnect with others or yourself. It is truly a dream come true. So check it out. And Jen Xers, thank you for taking the time to join us today. You can find us on the web at theuntitledgenxpodcast.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook at the Untitled Gen X Podcast. We hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye. Bye.